Because they pray, they plan forever. And they might not even have this idea in just two years, three, some of the things that they planted in just one. But for me, I sit in home and come to God. I'm doing back stitching. I'm doing back stitching. And when I finish, I see the tablecloth. I see the apron. And I wait. I can see the direct result of my work. My work. Immediately. I remember when we go to Jet 3 and they were thinking about it, I would have to bake and all those things and sew, going to score and all that. I remember that. After we finished the baking, everybody was saying yes. It was a good time. When I read their own thing, it was different. When I got to it, was one. I kind of found the same in my science project. That my favorite part of physics, chemistry, and to a lesser extent, biology, is practical, not the theory. Particularly chemistry practical. And I really liked it because it was chaos. Because there is no chemistry practice. Sorry, I'm not to you. But there was no chemistry practical that. Somebody will not say, Sir, my own did not change color. <laughs> or, oh, Sir, there's no sediment under my beaker. None that you will not find someone that got the wrong word. Mm-hmm. My chemistry teacher was very, very impatient. And he was very biased. So, it depends on who is asking. If he thinks, it is, it is one of the people that he considers. To be a brilliant student, he will answer. But you see, if he has written you off, <laughs> if he has written you off as one of your serious ones, and you say, Sir, or you are your partner, say, Sir, man, do not change color, he will just give you this look like, hey, Talk to your partner. He doesn't even come to help you. Talk to your partners and ask them what they did. They did something wrong. That's where it ends. And there was this faithful day when. That God wanted to show him that. So, we did a practical and half of the class got the result. The other half did not get the result. But as God will have it, the half that did not get the right result was the half that he knew in his mind that these are the brilliant ones in my class. So, I was one of those people where he tried and tried and tried. And the thing wasn't happening. So, and I thank God because if it was the other way around, he had condemned to them. But when he saw that, and this one that I written on, they are doing it well and they are getting the right result. And we were not getting the right result. He was forced to pay attention. And he came, and at first he was trying to act like he made a mistake, and he did not make a mistake. Did you do this? Yes. Did you do that? Yes. Did you point? Did you measure? Yes, sir. And he now had to perform the experiment. He found out that some of the chemicals that our own group would use had expired. expired. So that's why we're not getting the right result. The other group used chemicals that were still. I want to tell you today that we should thank your God that our Jesus is not like your chemistry teacher. That he doesn't look at you. 
right to work. Simply because of mistakes you made or something you did wrong. It doesn't work. It doesn't write you off. God doesn't sit on high making assumptions about his children. Jesus doesn't sit on high and look at his children and say, Well, this one, I can tell you how it is. It was very, very funny back then. Depending on the person I have, he just knew that he wants. Thank God that God is not mad. Also, thank God that Christianity. It is not like our chemistry equipment and chemicals. Nothing can expire. Nothing can work. Expire. If there is any situation where we are not getting the right results, it is not because the Bible is wrong. It is not because the principles of scripture are wrong. It is most likely because we ourselves are wrong. We can tell God that the problem would always be us. Not God. Because if the problem could be two ways, then we're in a complex situation because who can question God? We have to be grateful that the God that we have can never be wrong. So we can always find solutions. Because if he could be wrong, we're in crisis. We'll be like my class minister. We keep trying and trying and trying. We cannot figure out what is wrong. Today I'm going to teach on God's perspective on excellence. God's perspective on what? Excellence. If you look at this our thing from a natural perspective, this thing that we have today, it can be taught by a motivational speaker. Two of us. The motivational speaker can decide, and there are many of them. On Instagram, on Twitter, organizing webinars and seminars. They can say power to itself. But when you read into it, you know what they're talking about. They're probably talking about financial minds. They're probably talking about, talking about how you can benefit from crypto or Bitcoin. Or they're probably talking about chat or something. The motivational speaker can say a topic is power to excel. Power to excel. Can be taught by a Mormon priest in a Mormon temple, or a Buddhist priest. Sure, but part of itself can also be taught by a false teacher. Apostle Paul and Apostle Peter were able to tell us through scripture who a false teacher is. Who is a false teacher? Very simple. A false teacher is someone that tweets the correct interpretation of the word of God for their personal material gain or in a bid to control others. So a false teacher can teach power to excel. But you see all these things lead to frustrated expectations. And people hop from pillar to post looking for this and they never really find it. As a Christian, it's our priority to understand what God's view and excellence is, so that we'll be able to align ourselves with what we must do to actually get it. If not, hand will be laid on you, the hand will be removed from your head, and you will find that 
it is not because God doesn't have his intentions for your life, but because we have not aligned ourselves to what we do. Now we open our Bibles to First Samuel chapter 16 and chapter 17. It's quite a lengthy text, and I'd like to encourage a moment of us to read the whole thing. The reason why we're reading the whole thing is because we want to see the life of a man called David and how he came in contact with what we call a son. And these are popular stories that we know. But we're going to be extracting a lot from this story. And first and most of the from verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and gold. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I am providing myself a king among the sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons, and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was, when they came, that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes, and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and the distressing spirit of the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let your master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well, and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen the son of Jesus, the Bethlehemite, who is skilled in playing. A mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send your son David, who is with the sheep. 
And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Then Saul said to Jesse, said to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand, that Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirits would depart from him. 17 verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and were gathered at Sokol, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sokol and Azekah, and Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath, from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs, and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the army of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Ephratite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to battle. The names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an, an ephah of this dried grain, and these ten loaves, and go to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousands, and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight, and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left the supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words, so David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the man of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches. Who give him his daughter 
I will give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, the oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first one spoke. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servants will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war for his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servants used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it, and struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, and struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing as he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and a sling which was, was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog, that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your pet from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, and David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with his sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine, and killed him 
but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and took over the Philistines, took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed them and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sharon, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then David, then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David said, David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemites. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Father, we thank you for the I pray that every single thing that we are going to say in this. This few verses that we've read today, we can sink into the heart of the children of Jesus Christ. Amen. Quite a lengthy passage, yeah? The story you're familiar with. Who isn't familiar with this story? Nobody. The story you're familiar with is one of the most popular stories in the world. How you know a story is popular is if you can imagine if you come from a Christian home or a Christian background and you read Christian books or you had a children's Bible as a child or you had the book of Bible stories and as you are reading the story that image is implanted in your head of David like this. That's how you know how popular the story is. very popular. But today we are talking about the power towards connection. And we want to examine the life of David. Starting from chapter 16 to chapter 17. The first thing we want to talk about is the qualifications to receive that power. The power to excel is not for everyone. It was for everyone. And everyone will have it. Right? Not for everybody. There are some qualifications that we find even in this passage. Assures that okay, this is what you need to be. This is what needs to be present in your life before you can accept. Before you can receive that power. And that power is the anointing. The anointing that Samuel poured on David's head. But you see, before that anointing was poured, something happened. And the first qualification is that you have to be sanctified. You have to be what? Sanctified. Verse 5 of chapter 16 says, And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify what? Jesse. And come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his son. Called them to the sacrifice. So, anyone who hadn't sanctified themselves was not even qualified to be on the scene where this event was about to take place. And although it is not directly written, there is no way that David will have stood before Samuel when they went to call him 
without first also satisfying themselves. Jews don't play. They do not play. It's we that tend to look at this thing because of when we time that we live in. Because he came into the town and the elder met him and said, Do you come physically or not? Because he's a prophet. And the prophets, people don't do business. Because they can just come and what they have in their mouth is just scatter the evil. So when the elders saw Samuel coming, they were already afraid. And they came and asked him, Do you come peaceably? And said, There's no problem. I came on peaceably. I want to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify what? Our sanctification has been given to us by Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the one that shared his blood to cleanse us. To sanctify means to be set apart. Right? So that means that this conversation of power to extend is for believers in law. If you are not a Christian, then it's not for you. It's not for unbelievers, it's for believers. But it is not just for believers that Jesus has washed. It is also for believers who understand what it means to live a sanctified life. And make living a sanctified life their priority. That's the first qualification, sanctification. The second qualification that we see here is that it is for those who have a heart for God. Because it was one thing for all the sons to be gathered and the elders of the town to also be gathered because they were there, they qualified, they sanctified themselves. But who was anointed? Who was anointed? David, one person. And what did God say to Samuel? Because Samuel is a man. And when they stood before Samuel, Samuel was, because Samuel has anointed a very tall king, a, a little while back, in the name of Saul, right? A tall king who stood above everyone. And Samuel stands among Israel, looking at them like this. Because the Bible says he was huge. He looked kingly by physical standards. And so Samuel, being a man, who has human weakness, saw Jesse's first son, and he had a similar vibe. So in his heart, he said, well, surely this is the one that the Lord has chosen. God did not just tell him this. God told him the qualification. God said, for man sees the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. David had a heart for God. How do we know that David had a heart for God? Because number one, what mattered to God mattered to him. He had a tendency to see things from God's perspective. And this is something that is very clear throughout his life. We see an example in chapter 17, from verse 25 to 26. And it says, And the men of Israel said, have you seen that man come up? Surely to defy Israel will he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father, his father's house, free in what? In Israel. 
That was the people that were speaking to David. Now let's look at what David said. And David spoke to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killed this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That should defy what? The armies of the living God. These people were talking to David about rewards, and the king will give you his daughter. The family of the person will be what? To be settled. And David was talking to them about what? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And defies the hands of the living God. Their perspective is different. David's perspective was not the reward that Saul was going to give. David's perspective was how will this person be doing this against God? That's a reflection of the kind of heart that he was. That he had. Another reflection of the kind of heart that he had is something that can be found in verse 15 of this chapter 17. Where he just simply says, But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep as well at Bethlehem. Will you do it if you were you? Someone that anointed David as the next king in front of his family members and the elders of his time. And David did not try to help God or help himself get to that throne. He just took the anointing and continued serving him. His father. He did not try to manually change his station. Which is why he was still the one that took care of the sheep. His status in his household did not even change. His three other brothers were at war fighting with Samuel, I mean with Saul. David was still the one that was left for. At home, not at home in the house to flex or to enjoy. At home with the sheep, the same position that he was when they anointed him. As if nothing has changed. But obviously something has changed. But the point is, David was humble. He was what? Was humble. If it was some of us, and they've anointed you in front of your brothers and sisters, they said, oh yes, you will be the next king. In the house, you already start rolling there. You'll be practicing at home. For when you get to the throne. No, of course. You get to your office. You get to your office and small things, you tell your boss, you know who I am. And your boss will be looking at you ah, what happened? What happened to this one? He said, don't worry, I'll be your king, don't you? Don't worry. Just wait. This one that you're treating me like this. And even if the boss decides to fire, you say you're fired, you say, don't worry, it's coming. This business, I'll crash it. That's my first thing I'll do when I become king. Am I lying? No. No. That's what we want. That's what we do. David did not have that harm. If you read further in the story, you will find out that when Saul finally mounted opposition against him, a time came when David had the opportunity to kill Saul. David was hiding in a cave, and Saul's army was around. And Saul's army had an inkling that David was there, but he didn't know exactly where he was. And Saul and his army fell asleep out there. And David and his men came out. And David's men came rejoicing, saying, Look at the enemy of your progress. He's just here sleeping. All we need to do is what? Kill him. 
end the situation. We know you are king. What did David say? So have the time. Touch the anointed of the Lord. God's spirit has left souls. Have you read it? Has left souls. And David could not bring himself to them to kill them. Sometimes you read these things about David, and there's a tendency to think that David got this kind of heart because he was anointed. No, the other way around. David became anointed because he had this kind of heart. It wasn't the anointing that brought him to become the kind of person that thinks this way. He was already thinking this way before the anointing found him. These are some of the things that God saw in his person, inside of him. And made God say, Yes, this one I have chosen you. Are we following? Yeah. Yeah. I want to say something to you. I want you to notice. Even if you don't take anything else from today, God does not empower mercenaries. He doesn't bless us. Mercenary. Who is a mercenary? A mercenary is someone who sells his skills to the highest bidder. So, in natural terms, a mercenary most likely has combat experience. Probably is an ex-soldier who has the skills, who has the technical know-how. Who knows how to do the job? But something happened that he probably was evicted from the army. Maybe he killed someone he wasn't supposed to kill. Maybe he was subordinated in one way or the other. He committed a crime and they excommunicate the person. And when the person is excommunicated from the army, the person is like, okay, I have all these skills. This is the only thing I do. <laughs> right? I have to feed somehow. So the person starts to sell those skills. The highest one. Yeah. Do that. God does not bless mercenaries. God does not bless those who are not truly with Him. And you might say that I'm a believer. I cannot be a mercenary. You're right in a sense. But as a believer, you're a son. You are part of God's army. But you can have a mercenary's heart. When your perspective when it comes to God and blessing is me, 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 and how it concerns you, and what will happen to you, and how whatever you are asking or requesting for is all about what you, how you see it, you are living like a missionary. You've been saved by the blood, yes. You are a son, yes. You are part of the army of God because we are all in this army, obviously. But your heart, is not dedicated completely to your captain commander, the commander of the host of heaven, which is Jesus Christ. You are living like a missionary. Which means that when tough times come in the battle of life, and somebody else offers you more money in food, more benefits in the temporal from what you think Jesus is doing, you abandon Jesus and you sell yourself to the highest bidder. That Christians that cannot experience small struggle or lack, they can't do it. A small hiccup 
the camps. Some of us in nursing ways now. You see, God loves us so much that He does His best to present us from developing this path. But He only goes so far. We have a part to play ourselves. What do I mean by this? God answers all prayers, but God has different answers to all prayers. Sometimes God's answer is yes, sometimes God's answer is no, sometimes God's answer is wait. There's no prayer that you pray that you don't answer. But you see, God will not give you anything that will destroy you. I want to say, give you something that destroys you. It starts from your heart. He won't give you anything that will turn you to what? To a listener, to a higher God. That will make you puff your shoulders. He's not the one that does those things. If you had a baby, and let's say you are in the kitchen, you are cooking. You light the gas, and the baby's eyes light up because it sees fire. The baby now decides to start walking towards the fire, or you have a hot food that you don't brought out of the pan, and you put it down, and the steam is coming out, and the baby is so excited and starts walking towards it. Are you going to say, Oh my god, the baby is so resolute and determined? At such a young age, the baby has already started developing taste for what he wants. Now you are going to do. What are you going to do? What life is carrying the baby away? The baby does anyhow. And you chase the baby away, you carry and lock the baby out, the baby is still attempting to me, and you spark the baby. Why are you doing that? Because you are the adult. This is not just about parenting. Which is why when disasters happen to children, the first question that people ask is where were the words? Parents. And even if they cannot account for the parents, the next question they will ask is, was there any adults in what? In the house or around? Why? Because this is not just the responsibility of parents. It is the responsibility of those that are considered to be mature adults. And such things must not take place. Such carelessness must not happen if you are there. Because whether you give them to the child or not is inconsequential, it is your responsibility. And this, if this is how humanity is, how much more will go? Do you know? There are some toys that you cannot buy for children at certain ages. For example, you can't buy a Lego set for children when they are still at that age where the first thing they want to do when they see something is to put it in their mouth. It's a phase that will pass. But they are that age at that point in time where their thought is not exciting them. And no matter what they see, this like ant or cockroach, no matter what it is, the first instinct they have is to pick it up. Look at it and put it on your top. As a parent, you cannot say at that age that okay, you want to buy the child a Lego set. So why? Because it's good for children to help them to grow. You have to work, you have to wait. So that child has passed that phase and has developed the cognitive abilities to be able to play with that toy. Then you buy it. That's what it means to be responsible. And if we human beings do that, how much more are God? He won't give you what will kill you. Because He knows you more than you know yourself. 
when we think about this heart that David had, is that it's not a one-time thing. You want to excel. You want the anointing to work for you. At every step of the way, God will be testing you. Because he wants to see whether you are ready to handle the next level. And if you are not ready to handle the next level, you stay where you are. And it is better you stay where you are because what profited a man if he gains your world and loses what his soul. God will rather preserve that your soul until you deal with that particular weakness that it might not even be coming out now. But if you hit a particular breakthrough or you say prosperity, that weakness will come out in full force. God will not let it happen. And what happens usually at that point you will not go and help ourselves. To get what God is not yet ready to do that. So these are the qualifications. It has to do with your heart. Why do you want this anointing to do? Do you ever think about God and what He needs for you? Or is it just me, 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 me? Because you see, when the anointing came upon David, he says that from that, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. That takes me to the next point, which is we talk about the qualifications, let's talk about the experience. What is the experience of the power to excel? So that you'll be able to see what can happen in your life when you get this power. The one thing that I can say is that when this power will come upon you, you start having new victories, but you also start experiencing new challenges. They come together. I want to show you something that is very fascinating. In chapter 16, verse 18, when Saul's servant was recommending David for this music position, and he said, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehem that is coming in play and a mighty valiant man, a man of war, prudent in matters, and a comely person. I am sorry, have we yet read that David has done anything at this point? Because if he was just to recommend a player, that's what Saul wanted, he would have just stopped there that is coming in play. Maybe you can add the, and the Lord is with him, the end. All those ones in the middle, what's it there for? It is because, although it has not been documented yet, things have already started happening in that town. I started to show that something is different about this baby. People knew. People what? They knew. They knew. They could see it. And some of, two of those experiences came from the mouth of David himself. That he slew a lion and slew a bear. I think it's easy to slay a lion and slew a bear. But he grabbed it by the knee and killed it. The other person that did that, at least you know that God gave him strength. That's something, at least. Something saw the lion's man. David. You know, it's not strength that he was given. How did he kill the lion and kill the bear? Something had changed about us. Changed about him. 
But you see, this thing that has changed the world in, what it did for him is he brought him before new challenges in life. Because the lion and the bear are challenges. They represent challenges. You can't have victory without the challenge. The entire point of winning is that you can lose. Two of all. To win means that there's a possibility of winning. But you don't lose, you lose. So it means that there's a contest. And when the anointing comes upon you, you are inviting what? Contest. Your life will start to invite contest. This is the experience of everyone in scripture that God puts his hand on. So when the angel appeared to Gideon and said, Thou mighty man of Zion, he trapped. <laughs> the angel knows what he's about to tell Gideon. The angel doesn't just say, Oh, that mighty man of Zion, he just came to heal you. That's the Baba. No. He came to present to him a what? A challenge. That mighty man of God, when you call me, it's not me, the other is you. I'm the smallest of the smallest, it's you. Okay, fine, it's me. Okay, so there's this assignment. <laughs> and you know, it took a while for Gideon to believe it was me. Gideon was the one that brought out his peace. He said, Okay, Lord, I know you said you're sending me a book. I put it outside. He said, okay, when did you come in the morning? Then did you surround everyone and not touch the peace? And he came out and he happened like that. And he went back again and asked for the opposite. Now, okay, let this peace be full of you and let everywhere else be there. And he came out and he was like that. And when he picked up his peace and squeezed it, from was dripping water. And then he gave up. He said, okay, it's, it's really me. <laughs> New one. Goliath is just one of the challenges. But he had to slay the lion and the bear before he left the land. Just as that had to go to prison. It's a process. It's a what? Process. And it's progressive in nature. When you meet new challenges, but you will experience victory. And it will increase your faith. And don't think that after you, that's why if you think you've defeated the devil in one area, and that's the end. Read your Bible well. Even Jesus was very nice. The Bible says that immediately he was anointed by the Spirit of God. The first thing that came to him was what? The challenge. He went to the temple. Then he overcame that temptation. Then the Bible says that the devil left him for the man. The devil just retreats. Okay. Goes to re-strategize for you. Still calling that. But what happens? You win again. You victory. New what? The second thing that is important about the experience of the anointing is that it is God that walks it out. You cannot orchestrate it by yourself. God created a situation that brought David to stand before Saul. Saul, David was not going in for what? 
for the throne. God created a situation that David was not the one that he recommended to go and stand before the king. Who did it? God. Was it David? No. So one of the mistakes that we make as Christians, because we are not patient and we are not humble, is that when the, the word of God comes and the man of God or the prophet of God speaks a word into your life, I see, I don't have a problem with writing prophecy. It's good. But you need to realize that prophecy, whatever it says about you in your life, when you write it down, have it at the back of your mind that you have it's your daily work with God that you have to bring that into pass. And your daily work with God includes you taking enough of the word of God inside you so that you have the faith to actualize that thing that God has said. If not, your book will just be full, you won't see any manifestation. But what the tendency that we have is that when we hear it, our first instinct is to try to figure out how. How it works, how it will happen. And when you get into that mode, you start to now, you become a schema. And our goal is not a schema. Of course, I'm going to scheme. I know churches have made this thing worse because we are teaching motivation. So churches will tell you that you have to do it and you have to, and they start preaching a lot of nonsense. That puts Christians in a position where in the office they compromise just to get that quote, promotion so that they can come and say, oh yes, that thing that pastor said, it has happened. They will not tell you the details, though. They will not tell you who they wrote bad recommendations secretly to the orgasm. And they bastardize that person's name up and down, like empty lies that do not exist, just so that person will not get it and it will come to them. They won't say that one in church, though. They will come and tell you God did it. He didn't do it, he did it by himself. And that's the world of religion. David did not try to maneuver his way to the throne. It took 13 years for him to become this king from here. It didn't happen the next day. So someone anointed him at 17. He became king at 30. It's not as if he couldn't have gotten it earlier. He had chances. But he would not put himself there. You have to realize that there's a difference between seizing opportunities and trying to help yourself. So, the Goliath situation was an opportunity. It was an opportunity because David was the only person that could see this situation from God's perspective. And because David was the only person that had the eye of God, David was the only person that could have brought that victory. Nobody else could have done it. Because this guy was taunting them for 40 days and 40 nights. And this six cubic whatever, maybe nine, nine feet nine inches. That's how tall Goliath was. What do for someone to be nine feet nine inches? And huge. And they will come out because Israel was on one mountain, the placing of another mountain. You just imagine it. And he comes out early in the morning. <laughs> it's the first voice you hear. Of course, they were afraid. 
So you come out and you shout. You say, okay, where is your champion? Bring him. And he goes back. It's a scare tactic. You don't think it's a very bad thing. It's very manipulative. It's very intimidating. As someone has just designated that the first voice you hear in the morning, and the last voice you hear for 40 days. They were already asleep. But David was not even on the scene where this one was happening. David just came and he happened to hear the morning one of one day. And everybody else was like, the soldiers are very green of their work. That's why he does everything. What's that idea? We don't know where this one will end. And David was kept asking questions. Why are we allowing this thing to happen? What was that? That was an opportunity. God does this. There was an opportunity that was created for Joseph as well. When Joseph was the only one that had a solution. That's different from you trying to help yourself. God orchestrates these things for us. So you see, when we try to manipulate, and how do you know you are manipulating? When there's sin involved, when there's sin involved, it has become what? Manipulation. We're trying to help God. Another experience of the anointing is that you make new enemies. You make what? He said you make new enemies. You see, this is the part that you may not want to hear. So it's true. I hope you realize that the Bible says that when David first encountered Saul, the Bible says that Saul loved him. Who became his greatest enemy? Saul. It started in chapter 18, we didn't read it, but after the battle, and the women usually are, the women are just interested. They are the ones that came out and started to sing. They said they didn't call and respond. Some of you will die now, give me two days now. Some of you will die now. And the boy will say, the soul that hates the soul. I said, what happened? When I'm not dead, The Bible says, from that day, he was a of David. If you read further, you see that when Saul gave Micah to David, what Saul said in his heart was that, yes, let me give my Micah to David so that she shall become a slave to him. He didn't give the wife out of the goodness of his heart. Essentially, he said, okay, let me give him this daughter so she'll cause him problems. That's how deep this community was. Why? Because of the anointing. Because of what? The anointing. But it wasn't just outside, it was in his own house. But you see what the older brother said to him? What are you doing here? He said, I didn't do anything wrong. He said, okay, you are coming here. Why? But why is brother talking to him like this? Because they know something has changed. They have heard the news of the things that he has done. They know that David being on that scene will change something. But they don't have the power because they are not anointed. And when you start to walk with God and God starts to put his presence in your life and in your head, if your family is not like you, 
be surprised if you raise up the situation against you. Don't be surprised if they start to spite you. It will happen now. Because you see, there's no one that can truly love or protect you. Yet. And even we that they are loving each other in the body of Christ, it's only those that give themselves over to God's love that can truly love. Because many people in church, they don't give themselves over to the love of God. So there's a lot of hatred and competition in the church. Where Jesus is. Why? Because human love is very fickle. You can change and switch. Nobody truly wants anybody to be better than them. That's a fact of life. And it doesn't escape the church. If we are not practical about it, our Christian faith, we don't be lying from lies to ourselves that are necessary. It is also in our church. Maybe even especially in church because we don't address it. So it's just something that is bubbling under the surface. And people are competing with themselves. Silently. Because they are not dealing with the issues of their own heart and life. And allowing the love of God really permeate them so that they can love people freely without God. That's why the devil tries to sow seeds in the heart of men and women, even in church. Not to talk of your household where the older sister probably was bathing you when you were a child. Or your auntie saw you when you were running about without dress. And now you now said you, you want to be the one that will arrive on the beach. You think that they will allow you. You think that they will love you. It doesn't work that way. This world is a practical world. Even Jesus' siblings, it took a while before they came around. They came around when he had already died. And towards his death, they came around. He came to abuse. Because you see clearly that I forgot they were taunting him. Yeah, go to the festival. Go to the festival. Go and show it there. They were taunting him. And of course, they came to his death with me. They became great to God. They did amazing things to God. So that's when we have come to the realization that this, this boy, or this is my big brother that I was with all these years, is actually God. Because the Bible says through Paul that Jesus appeared to James. That's how he had died. But when he was alive and they were together, it was all for them to come around. So if Jesus, if he happened to Jesus, what would he happen to you? We have to be very, very practical. This is what the anointing does in our lives. It's about the state of our heart. It's also about the fact that the anointing invites challenge. There would always be something that comes to challenge. God will give you the victory when you hold on to Him. You trust in His word and you depend on Him. But after that victory, don't rest. Don't rest and say, okay, yeah, the battle is over. No, the battle is still in this world. Because you get to fight the next one. And the next one. And in the process, you make new enemies. Not because you are not trying to be peaceable. But because some people are from the other camp that they can't like you. And there are a lot of people that don't like me. I'm fine with it. They used to like me before. 
You don't like me anymore. Some of them can't even explain why. They can't put it into words. Me, I know why. Oh, they are not good friends. Like I told you today, the power to accept is about your destiny. It's not about your immediate needs. We read two chapters and we see two mighty things that have happened to David. But like I said, David is not yet king. He received the anointing for what? For the throne. He didn't get there for a while. But that anointing he received that day from Samuel was to take him with the throne. What does that mean? We all come to God for different reasons. Some of us come to God because we are down and we are destitute and we need help. Some of us come to God because we need to rejoice. Some of us come to God because we need healing. We can come to God for any reason. It doesn't matter why you come. But when God starts to put his power on you, it is not about that immediate need. It's about your destiny. So when he solves that immediate need, not be tempted to say, okay, I've finished. I've crossed why I came. No. God attracts everyone because of where he wants to take them. And he can place anything in your life to attract him. Which is why why you come is never why you stay. Hmm? Why you come to God is never why you stay. Is that reason why you came to God does not change. Very soon you will go. When you come to God and you come for a particular reason, over time, He will now start to reshaping you to His own perspective on your own life. And that process starts to happen to you. If it doesn't happen to you, you won't stay very long. You have to see your life the way God sees it. Because that's ultimately why the anointing is coming. And tonight, when God's time comes, and he starts to lay hands on people. Yes, some immediate problems will be solved. Because it's God's power. But anyone who thinks that it is just because of that immediate problem that that hand is being placed on his own head, making a mistake. Because that hand is coming ultimately for that person's destiny. God just used that one thing to get you. And that's the reason why. Talk to Bible. Every single person that Jesus touched, either they followed him or they became evangelists. One of those two. Every every person. Either immediately decided to follow him. Or he told them not to follow him. So that they can go and tell people about him. Nobody came to Jesus and just went back to their own lives. No. When they received from him, they were. They joined the disciples. They start to follow. Because that's the point. The point is their destiny, not just their blindness, not just that deafness, not just that insanity by the media of the man with the spirit of living. It wasn't about the healing, that's a temporary thing. It was about okay, after the healing, what next? 
That was just the contact form. Tonight, a lot of us will experience contact forms. Some of us have already experienced some contact points in some areas of our life. And we will experience more contact points. But always remember that it is not about that. It is about your destiny. God has a plan for you. And he wants to take you there. If only you be patient with him. And let him do his work. Not to let him do. And that's what David did. It took 13 years. It also took 13 years for Joseph to become the Prime Minister of Egypt. Jesus spent 13 years preparing for a ministry that was three and a half years. People, God is preparing us. It's not about today. It's not about that job that you want. It's not about the increase in salary that you desire. It's not about any of those things that you think will happen. God will do those things in his own time. But you have to have your sight on his perspective of excellence. God has a perspective of excellence. You have to view it from his perspective. If not, you'll be frustrated. Because the human beings are needs and infatuated. So you get what you want and you don't want. No salary is enough. Because they are just things that right now the living are not thinking about it. Because you don't have it's not in your realm of possibility. Because you're looking at your budget. It doesn't even cross your mind that you're looking. Let them increase your salary by fifty percent, hundred percent. All of a sudden, you start scrolling Instagram and something that never caught your eye before. You catch your eye for the first time. It says, like, I can buy this thing. <laughs> Why can you buy it now? You didn't buy it before. Am I wrong or right? Alright. If they increase it again, but say it's still what? We wrong. <laughs> before you know it, that thing that you were buying before, you have to say you might start thinking and say, the quality of when they have the money to change it, we're trying to. That's how we are. So please don't let it be your focus. There's something God wants to do. And that's why every month, you think all these hands that come upon your head is empty. It's not empty. It's not empty. You just have to be abiding and be faithful. And you will see what will happen. And when it starts to happen, even the person that God is using to lay hands on your head, he himself, it will blow his mind because he is not God. You know, everyone is a company, it's just a different level. All of us, daddy is our daddy. But daddy is God's child. Have you? Yes. He's our daddy, but it's God's love. Child. The same way you are also God's child. No matter the level they start on, how many years in ministry, all those children. I mean, God uses his servants to do something. He can also blow the wrong man. He can also surprise his servants. The servants will give glory to who? To God! That God was able to use him to do that thing for somebody. Because even him, his eyes are not seen, his ears are not open. You see all these hands that are coming upon you? It's not empty. It's not a waste. 
Don't think about your present state or what you think is what you desperately need now. God is not a man. God is not a man. He doesn't lie. He doesn't fail anyone. He has never disappointed anyone before. Like I said when I began today, God is not like my chemistry teacher that will write you off. God is not like our Lord in business in secondary school. And the chemical is fire. Like our ruler in internet lab, that no strength. But they cannot draw properly. That's not our God. Our God is perfect. And the reason he is perfect is so that when there is a gap, you can easily know that it's from you. Because when you know that it's from you, you know how to correct yourself. I want us to open our mouths today. I want, to, I want us to speak to God about our hands. I can't see your hands, but you know if you have a mercenary. You know the areas of your life that if you are honest with yourself, if God should give you that thing now, you might not come to church. You know that if God should answer that thing the way you want it to answer it, you might develop an attitude that a pride has been deep inside you that nobody can see except Jesus of Nazareth. And he's just sitting there, Thomas. A stubbornness that is inside you that nobody can see except the Son of Righteousness. That is just there inside you. You know that if God should answer in a certain way, you will have fallen away. My people, if you don't deal with those problems with your heart, God will never answer those prayers the way you want it to. And it is not because he can't. The Bible says that his hand is not too short, that he cannot reach out to us. But it is our sin that prevents us from it. Sin is not just an action. Sin is starts from the heart. Starts from how you see things, how you perceive yourself. How you perceive yourself when you think about your life, what do you think of? Do you say, like the Israelites were being warned enough to say yesterday in the book of Deuteronomy, do you say it is by my hands that I'm crossing this path? Do you say that it is by my hands that I got this job? Do you say that it is because of my skill and because of my intelligence and because I'm smart that I'm being paid this salary now? Do you say? That it is because I am beautiful or handsome that I was able to get into this relationship or marry this person. Do you say that it is because of me that this good thing has happened in my life? If that is the state of your heart, you are blocking God. You are standing in the way of the power. And although He wants to, He wants you to excel. That's how our lessons do not work for you. It won't work for you because you have to deal with the demons of your heart. But you can pray to him and you can ask the Holy Spirit to help us. So open your mouth and say, Spirit of God, help me. Take these things away. You know what they are. You know what they are. You know what they are. Try to take it away so that you will be like David. David, who was said, he was a man after God's heart. Who always thought about what God thought about. 
always saw things from God's perspective. Who ever saw anything that he had as his own? But said that I will not give unto the Lord what will not cost me. That is the heart of a man <coughs> and he has no interest to himself. And that is the heart that you must have. That is the heart that I must have. If you want God to do the things that you want us to want him to do, if you want us to do the things that will take us to our destiny, that will take us to where God is taking us, then we have to request for this heart. And I want you to open your mouth and say, oh God, touch me. Touch me. Change me. Change every selfishness. Serve the selfishness in the name of Jesus. Thank you.